Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We're going to start this morning. Uh, You know, it's always so funny how you start out doing a a study in in a book of the Bible, because as I shared two weeks ago, I believe it was, Philippians was not on our radar However, God led us there and, and then don't really know why. And, but now we're beginning to see how God just speaks and meets us in his word. And so we had it kind of set out on the calendar for like a six to seven week series. Well, we're on week three and we're making it through verse 14 of chapter one. So we had something else on the calendar and we were in the office this past week and Jared goes, well, what about this series here? And I said, ah, just scratch it because I have no idea how long we're gonna be here. We're just gonna stay in it as long as God has us here. But I wanna start out today um, asking you something if you're anything like me. One of the worst feelings in the world is when someone scares you or startles you. Y'all know what I'm talking about? absolutely drives me nuts. My wife's the world's worst, okay? She gets angry. She hates spiders. So what do you scare her with? You guessed it, spiders. I remember one time at our old house, there was this, this garden spider, this, I guess the Charlotte's Webs, you know, the, what, what's they called? what are they called? Riding spider, that one. There was one right above the water faucet. And so I was getting ready to wash my truck and Chelsea walked outside and, and, you know, being the loving husband that I am, I had already seen the spider and I sat there and I had Brock, my oldest was with me and, and I said, hey, honey, will you please run, cut the water hose on for me right quick? And I hit Brock and I said, hey, buddy, watch this. It's just a matter of time. And you guessed it. She turned the corner around this chameleon bush and right there was this spider staring and she screamed. And if we weren't in church, I would tell you all the other things she said, Um, but she was furious because she was so startled at something that caught her off guard. But the thing that we don't like about being startled is because most of the time it's something that comes out out of nowhere. It's something that we didn't expect The the definition of startled, it literally means a feeling or a showing of sudden shock. And what causes us to be startled is is this change, this response to something that just quickly and drastically changes. And so we've all been there. We all know what it's like to be scared. We all know what it's like when a circumstance changes, we kind of come unglued, right? I don't know about you, but I I watched some videos this week. Kel and Abby, I don't know if you know the couple, but I would encourage you, if you know Abby Couch, ask her to see the videos of her husband being scared. It's the funniest thing you will ever see in your life. Um, And I I was gonna put them on a reel today and just play them all, but I didn't wanna do that to him because he may never darken the doors here again if we put him out there like that. But what scared him to death was something happening that he didn't expect. But then, you know, there's also the flip side of that where there's people that you just can't crack. 
that you can't scare them, you can't startle them no matter what you do. My kids, they try to scare me all the time, but they're not very sneaky. And, but they get so aggravated because I don't usually crack to them trying to scare me because I usually expect it or I see it coming. But many of you know those people that are just always here. They're just steady Eddie. No matter how bad you try, no matter what you try to do for them, you can't startle them. And that gets so frustrating because we wanna see them flip out, right? That's the whole purpose of it. When I think about Paul, Paul is one of those guys in my mind that for the most part, everything we read about Paul, he was here. It's like you just couldn't crack him. It's like he was always just steady Eddie. The cup was always half full. And so that's what we're gonna look at today is we're gonna, we're gonna talk about how Paul was always just so steady and, and literally all we're doing, because B.B., when, I, when he knew he was preaching last week, he had said, well, I'll probably make it through verse 20. Well, what did he make it through? 11. So we're starting in 12 today. We're only gonna look at three verses. Um, but Paul is that guy that was always just this steady Eddie. And he was that guy in my mind that just, just you had a hard time cracking him based off the circumstances that he was living in. But what I wanna do before we read this passage today is I kind of wanted to, to paint the context around it for just a minute so that we will better understand exactly what Paul is wanting us to see just in these three verses. Because as you've heard me say, you heard Bibi say it, this, this letter to the church at Philippi has been, is being written from prison in Rome. He's been arrested. Now that arrest looks a little different than you and I might think, but we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But the interesting part about it is Rome is a place that Paul has always wanted to preach. This was kind of like Paul's dream mission trip. In Romans chapter one, verse 10, he speaks to that. It'll probably be on the screen, but I'm gonna read it real quickly. He says, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God that I may succeed in coming to you. Paul always had a desire to go preach the gospel in Rome. So this was his, basically for lack of better words, this was his dream mission trip. Now I can promise you that if this was his dream mission trip, he probably had of all the plans of how he wanted it to look and how he wanted to get there. But what we know that through the scripture is that he had no idea that he wouldn't end up there as a result of shipwreck. That he wouldn't end up there as, a, as the circumstances begin to change. And so now instead of being in Rome as a glorified missionary, he's in Rome as a prisoner. So it didn't turn out exactly the way maybe Paul had put it in his mind. He may have had other plans, but all of a sudden those plans have quickly changed. Though he's where he wanted it to go, but he's not there necessarily how he wanted to get there. And him being arrested, he was under house arrest. Now we're gonna talk about this just a little bit more later on, but to be in house arrest doesn't think, it's not like you and I, like they're in their house, they got the little ankle brace on and they can't leave. What we know is this, this, this arrest that they're talking about, Paul would have been attached to a prison guard with an 18-inch hand, handcuff. Now notice he's attached to this prison guard for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two years. No privacy. So as he's attached to this prison guard, he has to sleep beside this prison guard. He has to eat beside this prison guard. 
And we all know who Paul was. Paul sang. He sang hymns unto the Lord. He, he wrote letters. He preached the gospel. All the while attached to a prison guard. So everything Paul did, his privacy was out the window. And y'all know my sick mind. I'm sitting there going, this poor dude had to go to the bathroom too. Awkward, right? See, yeah, we just had to break up the tension there just a little bit. So Paul's in Rome, but I think we can all agree he's not in the most ideal circumstances. It's not exactly how Paul thought it would look. And so with that being said, I, I want you to look at Philippians chapter one, and we're just gonna read verses one or 12 through 14. Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 14. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, some of your Bibles may say brothers and sisters. This lets us know that this is a letter to the believers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. Verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. I want us to look at this very first statement because this gives us a lot of insight on Paul's heart behind what he's writing. He says, I want you to know that means that I want you to understand. I want you to know about this. I want you to know about my circumstances. And that word know, um, our students knew a lot about the word know because there's several different definitions of the word know in the original language. But in this text, the word know comes from the word gnosko, which means to learn something from an experience. To learn something from experience. And these circumstances that Paul's talking about is the very life that he's experiencing. The tough times, the trials, the imprisonment, all that Paul is going through. So if we were gonna sum up this first sentence here, what Paul is telling the church at Philippi, he says, I want you to learn by what's happening to me. I want you to watch me and I want you to learn by what's happening to me. Now, on Father's Day, Dads, we can all relate to this because how many times have we had that conversation with our kids? I want you to learn from my past. I don't want you to do what I did. I want you to learn from my experiences. And, and in most cases, when we as parents, moms, dads, whomever, we talk to our kids, when we tell them that we want them to learn from our experiences, what we're telling them is we want you to learn from what we messed up on, right? That's most cases what we're talking about. That's not the case with Paul. Paul's not talking about all of his mistakes. He's saying, I want you to watch how I'm responding to all of these circumstances quickly changing. I want you to watch how I'm responding to what's happening to me. And Paul wants them to learn how to respond to that. How do we respond to tough times? How do we respond when things don't go the way that we planned on them going? Because if anybody had a reason to be discouraged or frustrated about the way things were turning out, it was Paul. If anybody could look at maybe the way he had it put together in his mind and now all of a sudden where he's at and how he got there and what he's living in, it would have been very easy for Paul 
to be frustrated with God, to even be angry with God, to question God. But we know that what we're gonna see in this text, that's not how Paul responded. Even though things didn't turn out the way Paul wanted them to, Paul responded in a way that brought the Lord glory. And what Paul could have allowed to happen is he could have allowed this this prison experience to hijack his joy. He could have allowed this prison experience to rob from him his response to how he was changing to these, or how he was responding to these changing circumstances could have robbed his joy. But in that, we have to know what joy is. And so I wanna read something that John MacArthur wrote in reference to just this one verse. And I'm gonna read it, so I just want you to pay attention as I read. But this is what John MacArthur, his interpretation of what Paul is wanting them to learn. He's saying a change for the worse in health, job, finances, relationships, or even just important areas could easily cause the believer to question the Lord. When that happens, joy is the first casualty. Believers are especially vulnerable when such things happen suddenly, taking them off guard. Their response is often one of anger, doubt, fear, self-pity, or even complaining. In such a case of these events, they're not sinful events in themselves, but they lead, they lead to a sinful response, which is how we lose our joy. And I think we can all relate to that because we all have walked through experiences that we never saw coming. We've all walked through trials. We've all walked through tragedy. But because we're human, we're going to respond in some way. We don't have a choice. You're going to respond in some way. And I think back on my life of how I've responded in some cases that I didn't see coming or things that caught me off guard. I responded with anger. I responded with frustration. I responded by complaining. But what I realized is that is, that is my lack of faith in who God is. That is my lack of faith of, of not trusting where he has me. And when I don't trust God, guess what happens? That I sin in that because I sin in my response. And so here's the reality. Jesus Christ is our joy. He is our joy. Not that he gives us joy, but that's who he is. And so when we have unconfessed sin in our life, when we're harboring this unconfessed sin, guess what happens in that communion with the Father? There becomes separation. But until we confess those sins before the, the Lord, all of a sudden, when that sins are confessed and they are cleaned out, guess what happens with the Father? We're reunited in that communion. We're reunited in that communion. Joy is this. Feeling of good pleasure and happiness. Listen, that is dependent upon who Jesus is rather than who we are or what's happening around us. Aren't you thankful that even though our circumstances change, our Savior never does? Although we may be dealt a, a tough hand, 
Whatever hand you've been dealt, can I promise you and assure you that Jesus never changes. He is our joy. And that's what we have to cling to, even when we don't like the circumstances that we're living in, that we're walking through. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to attend a funeral here of a a family who buried their 23-year-old son. Church, that's something that a parent can never prepare for. But can I tell you, in spite of the circumstances, the church, the body of Christ came together and somehow God only doing what God can do, there was joy in the house yesterday. And the reason that joy was in the house yesterday is because the presence of the Savior was here. That was the joy. That the circumstances, absolutely not. But because Christ was here, there was joy in that. So even though our circumstances change, our Savior never does. And here's a bold statement that I've really been convicted of this week. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Does how we respond to circumstances reflect what we believe about him? Does how we respond to circumstances reflect what we believe about him? Have y'all been around those people that the cup's just always half full? Shake your head, yeah, because y'all have been. Do they get on your nerves like they do mine? Huh? It drives me nuts because I'll try to be negative, Nancy, and then all of a sudden they're gonna have to be positive. Always. And I'm like, just let me wallow in my self-pity for just a minute. So many times, and if you know him, you know him. Lowell Whitmire is one of those guys. It doesn't matter how bad things are. I can be complaining. I could be saying this. Well, buddy, it could be this way. And I'm like, Lord, just let me be mad for just a minute, please. I just want to be mad for just a minute. An example that I have that, that many of you may know um, Many, all of you probably know a a former college football coach named Mark Rick. And look, here's the reality. TJ, you don't even have to be a Georgia fan to respect this guy because of the gospel that he shares, because of the life that he lives. And, And some of you may know that within recent, in the last couple of years, he's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And just a couple of months ago, I had an opportunity to go to a a Jackson County FCA event where Mark Rick was the guest speaker. And I wanna share just a little bit about what he shared with us. And, And I found it in an article that he actually, he states the very same thing he was telling the room in light of his diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. He says, after this episode of Parkinson's, I have hope. And my hope is not in the things that are temporal, things of this earth. You know, Parkinson's is a progressive disease. And I want you to listen to this. We're gonna use this throughout the remainder of the message today. And usually by the end, you become a little bit of a prisoner in your own body, Rick said. There's not a whole lot to look forward to, but I have the greatest hope that you could possibly have And that's knowing that I will be with Jesus for all of eternity. 
You see, Mark Rick's joy is in his thoughts of who Christ is. Just the thought of who Christ is, just the thought of who he's gonna be in Christ, that's what brings his joy. Not his circumstances, not what he's been diagnosed with, not in this temporal body that he even referred to as being a prisoner in his own body. So we would look at that and think, man, he's a, he's a prisoner in his circumstances. He's a prisoner in this situation that has completely came out of nowhere. But what we know is that through the testimony in the heart of Mark Rick, he's trusting in God's plan. Because if you've ever heard him in even post-games inter interviews or, or any time he was interviewed as a college football coach, a lot of the time the conversation was gonna be turned back to him sharing his faith, to him sharing the gospel with the millions of people who were listening. And so as I was thinking about this this week, it was just amazing what God began to show me through his testimony. You see, when he retired from college football, one would have thought or one could have imagined that like his platform to share the gospel had finally come to an end that this platform, he had kind of been robbed of this platform because his time in college football was over. But now all of a sudden, some terrible circumstances occur in Mark Rick's life. And guess what he's doing again? He's traveling the country sharing the gospel. And so when we think about that, because of who he believes Christ to be, his prison has now become his platform. The circumstances that he is living in have now become his platform. Now, does anybody wanna sign up for Parkinson's disease? Does anybody wanna sign up for cancer? No, nobody wants to do that. But what we have to realize is that what we, in our human minds, that we may visualize as a prison, that God is using that prison for his platform. That's the testimony of Paul. Paul is using this imprisonment for a platform to share the gospel. Now, it didn't turn out like he thought. I can guarantee you that it didn't turn out like Mark Rick wanted it to turn out. But what we see is that what Paul says in verse 12, he says that all of this is turned out all this is those terrible circumstances, me being in prison, things changing so drastically. All this is being used for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, that word progress is very, very, very important for us to listen to. It comes from the Greek word prokope, which means this. I want you to listen to this, what progress means. Progress was a, a term that would be used by the military. It was a verb that the, that the team would call, that the army advance team would be used to clear a path in front of the soldiers to help them advance. And so what this, this, this army prepare team, if you would, what they would do is they would be out in front of the soldiers. And when they would come up on woods that were impenetrable, things that seemed impossible, these terrible, awful situations, what this 
this army's responsibility was is they were to go in and to clear the path. They were to cut all the trees down. They were to get all the briars out of the way to get everything gone so that that army could travel through what seemed an impossible situation and be introduced to new territory. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, God is using these terrible situations to clear the path for me to be able to advance the gospel. He's clearing things out of the way. He's making it possible for me to step into new territory. And so when we see that, what we realize is that Paul's imprisonment prepared a way for him to present the gospel in the heart of Rome, in the heart of a lost world. Terrible circumstances, God using to make his name famous. He's cleared the path for new opportunity. So how could our circumstances, how could circumstances that maybe you've lived through or maybe that you're currently living in now, how could God use those to advance the gospel? How are we as the church, how are we as believers responding to changing circumstances? How are we responding to these tragic phone calls that we get in just a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, our lives are forever changed? How do we respond in that? Does how we respond reflect what we believe about Christ? How are we responding when circumstances change? But what we learn just in the next two verses is how Paul responded. It affected two groups of people. It affected two groups of people. Verse 13, it says that it became, the gospel became well known throughout the Praetorian Guard and everyone else. As we talked about just a minute ago, if you remember, he was chained to a prison guard for two years. Now, understand that that wasn't the same prison guard. They had shift change. Like they would rotate. Because I don't know who that would be prison for, if it would be the prisoner or for the jailer. But they continued to change prison guards. And so they would cycle through these prison guards. And, and when we realized that over a two-year period, a lot of scholars believe, because understand what we know as house arrest is not necessarily what they would call house arrest. They were inside the city. They were moving about the people. They were moving about all of these guards and all of these, these lost community. And so scholars believe that in that two-year period, because of Paul being in the heart of Rome, because of Paul being attached to prison guards, that he had the opportunity to reach 9,000 people. Over 9,000 people that Paul got to preach the gospel to. But that guard that he's attached to they had to listen. They had nowhere else to go. They had to see how he responded. They had to hear the songs that he sung. They had to hear him sharing the gospel with random people that he would come in contact with. And so the significance in that is we have to understand this Praetorian Guard. We have to understand that this is a pretty sweet gig, it sounds like, because what this Praetorian Guard would do is that the duration of their job was only 12 years. 
They only had to serve for 12 years. Then they got to retire. I don't know about you, but I'm like, sign me up, 12 years. We can all do anything for 12 years. But not only that, when they would retire after 12 years, they received some of the highest honors that Rome would offer. They also received a large sum of money as a huge retirement plan. And so with that being said, after that 12-year period, this Praetorian Guard had a lot of power. They had a lot of influence. And see, what their job was is that for that 12 years, they would help look after their emperors. But after their retirement, then they got to speak into who the new emperors were. And so you see that because of that 12-year period, they gained a lot of power. They gained a lot of respect in Rome. But what you have to realize is that's the very people that Paul is getting to share the gospel with. These people of influence. These people that had power. That had the ability to put people into office. And so what we know is that that doesn't happen any other way than Paul being in prison. Paul's prison became his platform. This terrible circumstance became Paul's platform to advance the gospel. And so because of this prison, the gospel was spreading. It was spreading to people who had not heard it. And his preaching was spreading to people who otherwise would have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. But you know, the one thing that I have to think about, yes, one thing to preach and teach the gospel, but it's another thing to respond to how circumstances change. Now keep in mind, these prison guards are looking after Paul. I don't think Paul would have been best friends with the prison guards. They were probably tough. They were probably demanding him to do things that he didn't want to do. They were probably saying terrible things to him. They were probably treating him terribly. And so what I, how, how would I have responded to that? Probably not good. They'd have probably had to chain me to another jailer. But because of the way Paul was responding, we have to believe that he was responding the way that Christ would have responded because they were open to listen to the gospel and many of these guards came to know Christ as a result of Paul's testimony. Yes, him preaching and teaching the gospel. That's what saves. But you've heard the old saying that nobody cares what you know until they know you care. We have to believe that Paul in some way, shape, or form was showing them love. He was putting love on display in spite of how they were teaching or how they were, how they were treating him. So their hearts were still open to this good news, even though they may have been treating him in a terrible way. And so what we see here is that there was a lost world watching to see how Paul would respond to these changing circumstances. 
So that's one group that Paul was influencing. He was, he was influencing a lost world. He was influencing people. People were watching to see how he was going to respond. And the scary part is, is you realize that even as the believers, how we respond to changing circumstances, how we react, things that we do, things that we say, do you realize that you're either gonna push people to Christ or you're gonna drive them away from him? How we respond to changing circumstances is either gonna open people's heart to the gospel or it's gonna close it and it's gonna make them hard and calloused. How do we respond when things change? How do we respond when things come out of nowhere? When you think back on your life, when things have gotten difficult, How have you responded? And as a dad, I can tell you that's a, that's a scary statement because there's a lot of times in my life that things change quickly. And what I realize is my children are watching how I respond. And does how I respond, does it push them to the Lord or does it make them question the Lord? Or maybe even question how I love and trust the Lord. But then not only is Paul got this, the lost world of Rome watching, but he's also, he's got those in the church watching. Look at verse 14. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So what the believers are learning to do here is, is they're learning to trust God even more. The believers are learning to have more courage in God. And it said that because of what they're seeing in Paul, how they're watching Paul respond, they now have more confidence to share the gospel. Because the way Paul is living is a testimony to what he believes about Christ. And so they're seeing this, they're seeing this lived out and we see that they're learning from that. And it says that they have more courage, they're more bold, but all of that is a result because they've seen how he responds. They've seen how he's responded to the changes in circumstances. So what are we living out? In front of the unbeliever? But what are we living out in front of the believers? You know, because when circumstances change, I'm the first one to complain. I'm the first one to grumble. I'm the first one to fuss. But y'all know when we get upset, when we get angry, when we complain, do we ever just complain to ourselves? No, we complain to everybody we come in contact with. Because we gotta throw it up. We gotta complain. This is terrible, blah, 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 blah. But what we have to understand are the things we're saying and the things we're doing. Remember, is it pushing people to him or is it pushing people away from him? And so what Paul is wanting them to understand is he's saying, look, it's all about who he is and all about what he's doing. And so while Paul has all of these people watching, 
He's got the lost city of Rome watching him. And he also has the church watching him. Because church, here's the reality. Trials are something that we cannot avoid. We don't live in the garden anymore. Things are gonna be tough. James chapter one, verses two and three. Consider it all, what? Joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We can't escape trials. We can't escape changing circumstances. It's part of this life. But the one thing that we can try to do better, try to work towards is responding in a Christ-like way. Responding in a way that is gonna push people to Christ, is gonna give people courage to believe him, that's gonna give people courage to trust in him more. Because the truth is, is there's a lost world watching how we respond. But there's also a church watching how we respond. You know, I don't know what you're walking through this morning. I don't know what you've walked through. But the truth is, is whatever circumstance that you're walking through, God wants you to give it to him. God wants you to say, hey, this is all part of the advancement of the gospel. Even though it's hard, even though I don't like it, even though I don't understand it all, but God, I'm not called to understand it all right now in this season, but what I am called to do is trust you in spite of me not understanding it. And look, I know that's hard. I know that's difficult. You know, Father's Day is such a, is such a victory. We love celebrating dads, but you have to realize that even for some of you in this room, Father's Day this year may be the hardest day that you've ever faced because it's the first Father's Day without daddy. And you may not understand that. You may not understand the whole grand scheme of, of why this happened and how it happened, but the reality is, is all I'm asking you to do is to trust in the Lord's greater plan He's our joy. Crawl up as close to him as you can get and say, and look, it's okay to say, God, I don't understand this. God, I'm angry at this situation. God, I'm frustrated with this situation, but God, I'm today, I'm dying to that emotion and I'm gonna trust you instead of trying to understand why I feel the way I do. And so this morning, I wonder what circumstance do we need to place at the feet of Jesus and just say, God, use this. God, use this. Maybe you've responded to circumstances changing. Look, I had to self-examine my life on that one because I can tell you the way that I've responded in, past, in the past, it did everything but push people towards Jesus but I had to fall on my face and say, God, I repent. God, forgive me of how I responded because the way I responded, God, did not show what I know about you. 
And so maybe today you've not responded in a way that brings God glory. I would ask you and invite you to do what I have to do and repent of that sin. Ask the Lord to forgive you. But maybe you've already been through the circumstances. Maybe you've already been through the seasons and you come out victorious. You found joy. You found peace. God wants to use that story to the person who doesn't feel the way you do. And I wanna close with this quote. And I hope this encourages you today. If you're walking through something or if you have, God never wastes circumstances. You are too precious for him to waste your pain and your suffering. There is always a gospel purpose. There's always a gospel purpose. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.